Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Carolyn Talks Podcast here on, on the Calling app. I'm your host, Carolyn Hines. I'm a film critic, podcaster, YouTuber, <laughs> and writer. Um, this is the podcast where I talk to film creatives about what makes them so intrigued about filmmaking, what, get, what gets them involved in the projects they do, and what inspires them. And today, I am joined by two filmmakers, Alison Duke and Gaddy Conti-George, to talk about this a project that they recently did for the Canadian um, government. I guess you could say it's about it's a it's called the History Minute, and they did it on Chloe Cooley, who was an enslaved Black woman in Canada, which is something that's very important because, um, as I did in a previous discussion, we talked about how slavery within Canada is not generally talked about and has been practically erased from the Canadian education curriculum. So we're going to talk about that. But before we get into the project and into the, the short film, I'm going to ask Alison and Gaddy to talk about themselves and what inspires them as filmmakers and what got you into filmmaking. And forming their company, Oya Media, uh, Media Group, which is the company that they produced the short film under. So Alison and Gaddy, um, who would like to go first? Oh, I'll jump in. Well, thank you very much, Carolyn, for inviting us onto your show. Um, we don't have a lot of, you know, black women or black people uh, critiquing films in Canada. And I see that you're not only in Canada, but you're all over. So thank you very much for giving us this platform to speak about our work. Thank you so much for joining me. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, you know, I started in film um, in the mid 90s. I was a, a music video producer and I was um, producing a lot of you know, really great talent uh, in, in our community um, who wanted to be on television. I'm talking about the Rascals, Chaos, um, Nelly Furtado. I was, I was producing videos for those folks who weren't signed at the time, but really wanted to get on air. And through the process of forming a, a company called Rage Filmhouse a long time ago, um, we produced over 100 music videos. And that got me really interested in the story behind, um, you know, you know, black folks, urban music folks, you know, making music and becoming entrepreneurs. So uh, I, I, after I left, you know, making music videos, I made my first documentary called Raisin Cane, a rapumentary with the National Film Board of Canada. And that was following a rap group um, being entrepreneurs in Canada when there was no black radio or anything. And um, that was, you know, my claim to fame. That's how I got into the industry. And then uh, after that, I uh, did some television. I worked in television a lot as a television producer. And from there, started creeping my way back into like one-off documentaries. And um, years later, after working with many people, collaborating with many people, and, um, you know, just making films that went around the world, I I started to uh, make my own work again. And that's how I met uh, Gaddy. She was actually... uh, producing and directing a film and um you know after and i'll let her tell all that story but after that you know um you know i decided to uh, you know work with her on another project and then it was our third project that we got together to formulate oh yeah Me- media group and, and yeah um yeah hi well, thanks so much for um, having us today here carolyn um, so for me, um, you know, I got in, you know, like in, the, like in the early 2000s, um, you know, I went, went to film school in the in the States, uh, in a field scholarship and came back to Toronto and, you know, um, 
really took time getting into the industry. And, uh, but uh, spent my early years, I made a short documentary with the National Film Board of Canada, but then spent many years working as a video editor um, uh, for, um, uh, for broadcasters here on non, um, nonfiction, you know, un, un, unscripted uh, uh, series. And um, did that for, for many years. And at the same time, I had my, you know, my own production company, uh, Matri Media on the side doing you know, small corporate projects and things like that. And then I had an opportunity to um, when a new television station called Ox TV launched, it was a new uh, music television station. I um, went, went uh, moved on to that to produce uh, the flagship um, hip hop, um, like news magazine style show for them for two seasons um, and did that. And then, um, you know, and just kind of slowly, you know, built my, my little production company and, uh, and then did my first feature-length documentary, The Flying Stars. Um, and uh, through uh, making that film and in post-production, um, you know, I reached out to Allison because, um, you know, uh, when you get to like rough cut, fine cut stage of a film, you kind of, you know, you circulate it around, you know, you want to get feedback from people, um, you know, just to see, you know, is, are things working? And I remember reaching out to Allison and, you know, really appreciating the, you know, the thoughtful feedback um, uh, she'd uh, she'd given us on the film. And so a, f- a few years later, um, Allison um, actually reached out to me when working on a project called the Kua Benjamin Legacy Project, which was a series of five short films. Um, and uh, and she enlisted um, all Black women um, f- directors to direct them. And Allison was executive producer on them. And so I was one of the directors and uh, made one short, Dudley Speaks for Me, as part of that collection. Um, you know, I just loved working with Allison um, uh, th- through that project. And so, you know, fast forward a couple of years, uh, another um, project um, kind of kind of came to me. And as um, and when I thought, okay, um, I you know, there's a story here. I want to make this project, but at the time, you know, I just um, I just had my my second son and. Um, and I really didn't want to be, I wanted to enjoy a maternity leave and not really, you know, be for focused on making films. Um, and so, but it was such an, uh, an amazing idea and I knew I just, I, I knew I wouldn't be able to like let it go. And so I reached out to Allison, you know, it's been like, you know, did you want to you know partner with me on this project? And, um, and she said, yes. And that ended up being Mr. Jane and Finch, um, which was our, our first project, our first uh, project under Oya Media Group. And it went on to win, win two Canadian Screen Awards. And um, so I guess, you know, when Mr. Jane and Finch, when we were um, in development for Mr. Jane and Finch, you know, we still had our two production companies going. Um, but as it progressed, it, I think we kind of both came to a place and was very organic that like, you know, we have, we, you know, we love working together. We have the same kind of work ethic. We have the same kind of vision of the stories you want to tell. So why not, you know, join forces and instead of it just being a one-off thing for Mr. Jane and Finch, but kind of a permanent thing, you know, and um, merge our companies together, um, you know, just be stronger together because we, I think we're both at a place of wanting to tell bigger stories with bigger budgets that, you know, could, and to have, do multiple projects at the same time. You know, when you're yeah. having a production company, it's really hard to have multiple projects going, you know, and, and for production, you, you want to have multiple projects in development because, you know, not everything will always 
go through to a green light, but it's really hard to juggle that on your own. But, you know, when you're together, it's, you know, you can be much stronger and, um, you know, increase the capacity and, and, and kind of what you do. And so um, I think that's kind of, you know, why we decided to form Oya Media Group. Yeah. And I think it's just like extremely commendable for what you both done, especially in Canadian um media because as i was talking last week with um jennifer holness and Seth sutherland um who run um hungry eyes media and we were talking about the challenges that black creatives face particularly within um canada because the thing with me like canada is always touted as being extremely diverse you know and accepting of people from different cultures and backgrounds but then you look at the canadian media landscape especially for screen media you realize that it is not as diverse as it should be you know there is not as many productions by and starring people of color, particularly black people, that get that you know on the scale of a lot of their other productions, and and I'm so happy to see projects like what you're doing with the Heritage Minute and what they're doing with like the Black um, Origin Story. That's like I, I, it's BLK, but I, in my head I'm always translating it to black. And then yeah. there's like, you know, <laughs> and then you know there's this the, the new series, The Porter. That like I'm so happy that we're getting to see. This uh, people would the, the term renaissance would be used, but I'm like, I don't want to call it renaissance because it's it's something that should have always been, mm-hmm. considering how considering how um in, in how important black people and people of color are to Canadian um her, um heritage and society because like um as it was discussed in um in their docu series like black people have been here in Canada from the 1600s. And one of the important things, like what you're, what we're going to discuss in your Heritage Minute, talks about the how Black people were enslaved, and that was a part of Canadian history. And it is because that that happened. We you have the, this 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 film you did um, about Chloe Cooley, who honestly I had no idea about until I received um, until the publicist who was handling the the project, Wendy um, Vincent, reached out to me. And I was wow. like, and I watched it. I'm like, I did not know who Chloe Cooley was until that moment. I was like, this is new information to me. And like, we don't know about these these moments of Black history within Canada. We don't know about these Black women and how their um their lives changed Canadian um history. So I want you. So we're going to talk about the film and also talk a bit about how you um both how both of you and uh, an Oya Media Group became involved with the project. Like, who reached out to who about doing this um Canadian Heritage Minute? Yeah, yeah, it was quite a story. Um, I don't know, Gaddy, if you want to jump in, but uh, I just remember, you know, Heritage Canada had reached out to us for another project, and it wasn't a, a film project; it was more like a podcast project um, that they wanted to be um, produced on a high level. And, and we looked at it, and um, you know, we spoke to them about it. And we were shortlisted for that project. Um, but we didn't get it. Podcasts are not really our thing, but we could have done it, right? Um, with some animation and stuff like that. And But then they came back to us. I, you know, I think it was within the same year. They came back to us with this call for pitches for Chloe Cooley, um, a Cooley, uh, Chloe Cooley Minute, Heritage Minute. And we were just excited because we thought, oh, yeah, definitely. This is totally up our, our, our lane, right? And we would love to do the story about a Black woman who's enslaved because we, you know, you know, in Canada, you know, we've been talking about, you know, Black history for a long time. Like I'm saying us as creatives, like the people that you, you mentioned uh, earlier about their projects, like the Porter and the BLK series, you know, if you... If you know anything about those creatives, they've been in it for like 20 years, 
but we haven't up until now um, been able to really, you know, peel back the layers of, um, you know, what it's like to be a Black person in Canada and also our history. And so when we saw this call and we just, we just had to, um, we had to, you know, put in a, a bid for it and, and we got it and we got it. Mm. So talk a bit about the process though of doing the um, heritage minutes because but I, I'm an immigrant. I've been in Canada for since 2009. And I remember the heritage minutes were very popular. Like they'd be played usually around Canada Day, uh, which I personally don't even really celebrate for, you know, like political reasons. <laughs> but like they'd be they'd be super popular. Like you'd go into subway stations and you see the Canada the Canada Minute um as playing on the monitors and the screens of going to like yeah. the to Eaton Center, Scarborough Center, you see them playing on the on the giant screens in the mall. In school, you see the posters because I worked yeah. um before the pandemic, I worked at a public school. So you see the posters um all across the school celebrating like the new productions. And they'd always be about stuff like about the war of eighteen twelve. You know, on about on the wrong railway. Yeah. And then when it comes to like Black History Month in February, because Canada and the US both celebrate Black History Month at the same time, we'd always you'd always see them talking about, oh, Canada was part of the abolition movement, you know, the underground railway. Like Canada was the haven for like, black enslaved um Africans fleeing from America. It was a haven for black people fleeing from slavery and persecution in America. And they came up north and like north is a great white way. And then it's like, yeah, no, like Canada has slavery for 20, for 200 years. And even after slavery was abolished, which we're going to get into because Chloe Cooley was instrumental in that. What happened to her anyway was instrumental in that. Like Black people were still subjugated, persecuted, segregated. They faced discrimination before and after that time. And like Canada's like history is not as clean as a slave as they would like, um, they would like to people to believe as they've been promoting for the last, well, I would say probably the last century since then, like they've been using the their connection to the underground railroad as a way to like, clean their slate, I would say. Um, so I, I went and talk about just like producing the the production and just like going into the history of Cooley, Cooley and what that meant for the abolition of slavery in Canada. Hmm. Yeah. Well. Um. The the script was written um by the Lady Jackson, and so um and really, I think, honed in um, by Allison um, to, you know, tweak it, to make it you know, perfect to the visuals that we wanted to tell. Um, and so we worked with Historica Canada and they had, I mean, and also when they had, um, when the script was written, there there was um, a group of consultants that they had used, like Rosemary Sandler and Natasha Henry from Ontario Black History Society uh, and, and such to really make sure that um, the story was historically accurate um and uh and that the tone was correct and um so a lot of it uh a lot of our, our process of through pre-production was to really make sure that the tone was correct mm-hmm. that the visuals matched historical relevance but also i think um went a step further to make sure that it was really the um the correct emotions at the time and paying attention to the nuances of how, um, you know, enslaved black people were treated and were, you know, surveilled and um, experienced life at, at the time. Um, you know, I mean, this is heritage minute was extremely important because it's the first time that we've had one 
that recognized, um, you know, slavery in Canada. Like you said, all, all the ones prior were talking about the Underground Railroad, about, you know, because slavery ended in Canada um, what, 31 years prior to America, those 31 years are what, um, you know, history books love to focus on. Um, and, you know, Black people were, were were no longer enslaved in Canada, but were enslaved in America. But before those 34, those 34 or 31 years, there was, you know, 400 years of enslavement um, of, of our people that, um, you know, the history books seem to not to, to ignore. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really um, you know it was a really interesting process for me because when I got this beautiful script um, written by Naledi Jackson, uh, it had a lot of it was a, there were great scenes. It had a a lot of emotion, um, but we didn't get to hear uh, Chloe's name until the end. And for me, you know, as soon as I read the script, her, like, I could just feel her spirit come alive, you know, and I just kept on feeling like everybody needs to know her name. So I, I kind of tweaked the script so that you can hear it, so that you don't forget it. And then also um, when just, you know, in terms of the emotion, like Chloe, Chloe's story is one of, um, you know, resistance and um rebellion against being captured and taken away and sold back into the United States. And I wanted people to hear that resistance in the way she moved, in the way she, you know, hollered back um, her screams. And I wanted it to be layered and nuanced. So that was in my mind, like how to do that in the script and then also show, you know, even though, you know, she had to succumb to um, being captured and, and sold back, um, you know, she, there is some strength in there. Um, she wasn't one to just, you know, fall on the ground and start weeping. She was just, you know, she was fighting every step of the way. And for me, that represents, you know, a lot of our journey as Black women who are free in Canada. You know, it's mm-hmm. still there, like, no matter what you're doing, it feels like <laughs> there's a lot of fighting back, you know? So I, I was I was thinking about a lot of things about the past. I was thinking about Chloe's resistance, but how, you know, this minute represents us as Black women on this land. Mm, it's true, and especially because you have to do in such a short space of time because it's literally a minute, right? And mm-hmm. you're doing micro these, you're yeah. doing like these extraordinary stories, but you're doing it on such a micro level where you have to get all of this information conveyed in such a short space of time. So, um, how did you go through that process with your with your cast? Because like, um, Chloe is played by Olivia Barrett, and then there's Peter Martin, who um was a free, um, black man that that was um from what I was reading, it witnessed. Well, yes. what happened, that witnessed what happened to her, and it was because of his witness account that they were able to like go go to um like I think it was Simcoe. He took the matter to the court, and they yes. were just like, okay, we have to do something about this. And yes. so, just talk about working with the cast, finding them, and then going through the process of them, and then just like compacting the story into this one minute. Yes, you know the casting process. Um, I have to thank Julia uh, Fitz. Simmons, our casting director, she was just remarkable finding folks for us. But um, Olivia was, you know, always a shining star. You know, we got her tape 
and she was just an embodiment of everything Chloe represented. And when I saw her tape, she was a front runner right away. Um, and then Troy, uh, he was he was amazing. And so it was just the process of getting you know people who we shortlisted in the room and um, having them audition individually, but then also pairing them together. That was a whole process because I thought you know you can pick you could select people as oh here's my dog. <laughs> I know the name. My, as, I have to, my nurse and my dog gonna come in. <laughs> he's just running around. You can select people um, as individuals, but you know what is the chemistry going to be like when you put them together? So I had um, that. I went. I had you know our short. I think we have three three Chloe's and three um, uh, Peter Martins, and you know I, I partnered them up. And they were like, they just came, when they were together, it was just like magic on screen. Uh, and they were both able to pull the right emotions out of, you know, each of these uh, characters. I won't even say, I don't like to call them characters because they're real mm-hmm. people. And, uh, and you know, I like the balance between them, you know, and, and just Olivia was just so strong. She had this quiet strength in her eyes. Like when she says, but I'll run, like that, that line just, just melts my heart every single time. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it was just great seeing them work together. Mm. And, okay, so we talked a bit about you getting the project and finding your cast and working with the production. So I, I have to ask, when you were, when you were commissioned for this and when it was, everything was said and done, did the committee, the people in charge of the Canadian Heritage Minutes, did they ever say why it took them so long to do a Heritage Minute on Chloe Cooley? And one in particular that acknowledges slavery was an active institution in Canada. Oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't think we ever had that kind of conversation. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure. Uh, yeah, we never really had a conversation of how they go about picking um, the different stories that they mm-hmm. they select for Heritage Minute. Allison, I mean, I, I don't remember that. Yeah. I, I just remember that, you know, whenever they're putting a piece together, there's a lot of um, work that goes on behind the scenes, getting, uh, making sure that they have all the research um, uh, available to them. And I think, you know, that's why uh, we were happy that when we got this project, that, we, that there was an um, advisory committee attached to it you know, that was strong, like Natasha Henry, like um, uh, Afua Cooper, Rosemary Sadler, like, uh, you know, Gabby said. And um, and that just made us really confident that whatever, you know, was on the page and whatever, even if we made tweaks to that page, whatever we had, and if they agreed to it, we were like in a good place. And I just, I, you know, I really don't know their inner workings, but I was just, I was just happy that we were able to finally get to this place where Chloe Cooley's story could be told. And hopefully it will help tell more stories that are hidden in our community that are, that haven't been, um, you know, given its due. And, and we know lots of them, you know? Um, so, you know, it's, but it's great to see. Mm. And what was the first reactions of of like your crew and then the other side the 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 committee that worked on it? What was their reaction to it, especially when it's like you're saying, ah, yes, this video does finally acknowledges that this this did happen. Hmm. I mean, I think because um, when you finally see it all, I mean, for, at least for me, when you know when I saw it for the first time, I you know I got really emotional. 
like you know and I, I i which i was unexpectedly emotional because you know I'd, we'd gone over the script you know it, every i knew exactly what was going to happen you know we'd gone through the whole process we've heard but to see it all come together and it just you just felt like chloe was with you and we really kind of brought her to life um and i think that that was a feeling i think that many people shared um just the weight of what this means for, you know, I think for our country right now to, to have this out there for people to see and experience, um, you know, I think there's just a level of pride, but it's also like um, just, a, just a, a level of how important it is and that, that it's out there now. Yeah. For me, I was, you know, I was working with the material all along and I was just happy to get to the end of it and end of it. But I was also thinking about, you know, no matter how horrific it is, you have to still strike a balance so that it's, you know, whatever you're creating about slavery is watchable, you know. Um, I, 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 want, I wanted to impact people um, emotionally, but I didn't want to, you know, impact them in the way what, that they felt helpless. I still wanted it to be, um, you know, a bit hopeful and also that you were inspired by Chloe's resistance. So for me, um, I, I was really um, hoping that we achieve that balance. And so when people were watching it, I was just paying attention to that. You know, what is it leaving people with? Are you going to watch this and immediately want to go online, maybe to the Heritage Canada site and other places and, and, um, I should say Historica Canada's site and other places and, and find out more about Chloe. That's what I wanted to happen. And I, I think we achieved it, you know, and I just marvel at Olivia's portrayal of Chloe. You know, I feel like her, her acting just brought everything together. It really did. Absolutely. Mm. And during your research, during the research process, was there, um, any significant moments in the history or any particular people um, that you were, that you had that thought, you know what, if we had the opportunity to do another Heritage Minute or if we <laughs> wanted to do a, a docu documentary, whether it's a film or a series, that we would really love to do um, work on, were there any like those, like any particular moments or events or people? That's a great question. <laughs> That's a really great question. Um, you know, the people that, you know, is, is in our series, the Kua Benjamin Legacy Project, I feel like any one of them, you know, you can do a Heritage Minute about, uh, yes, any, any one of those people. And I, I'm also thinking about people who have a more contemporary history as well. I know they did one on Oscar Peterson recently, which was lovely, um, and, and and those, you know, Salome Bay would be great. I'm not sure. There's not one on Salome Bay, is there? I don't think so. I don't think so. I haven't. That one, the name doesn't sound familiar. Who is that person? Do tell. Ooh. She's a, a famous, um, I would say, I don't even know what I want to call her, if it's a jazz or blues singer, but she's just got a an entertainer. She's a, a remarkable person um, in the Canadian entertainment scene. And I think that more should be done about her. She had her own television uh, show program at one time. 
I know a lot of, is known about her and I think she's got a remarkable history. Um, her and her husband had a, you know, a really great connection to the community. Uh, he was part owner of, I want to say the Underground Railroad restaurant um, that was in Toronto many years ago. Um, but anyways, there's so many people like that. And so, yeah, I, I, that's a big question. We got to keep on asking ourselves, who's next? I think I think it's important to do who's next because like there's so much of Canadian black Canadian history that we don't know um and a lot of it has to do is because it was purposely withheld like like speaking about Chloe Cooley like the reason she it would be unknown to the majority of people is because like um when it comes to education about black history in Canada especially the history um predating the abolition of slavery, it has been purposely withheld, right? It has been purposely like erased from the curriculum. So I, I think it's important that we do have stories of, about people who exist now and the people who existed in the past because for I think for a lot of like black Canadian children in particular, like they they wouldn't think about their history at like going like three, four hundred years back into Canadian history, you know they have the idea that Black Canadians probably only existed because of the underground railroad, which is far from the truth, you know? And, like, even, like, I was looking, um, when I was looking at your bios, like, it's, like, Yaddy is from um, Sierra Leone, and, like, Sierra Leone has a, a rich history with Canada because there is a connection with, between um, as, um, formerly enslaved Black Americans and Black Canadians going from Canada, from Nova Scotia, I believe it was, or was it Halifax, going from Nova Scotia to Sierra Leone, because one of the founders of uh, Freetown came came by way of Canada, right? And like that's something, again, I didn't the even Creole know. Creole community, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, right? And that was something yeah. I didn't even know before I had looked in, I was watching the documentary that Jennifer and Sus had done. So again, this is so, and I was just like, this is stuff that isn't even mentioned. Mm -hmm. And it's not mentioned in Canadian history and it's not mentioned in American history. And Canadian and American history is very is way more intertwined than we realize. Like so many people think that they're both that they're two separate things, but it's not. Like like, like it's it's actually really look at it, it's it should be impossible to separate the two, but somehow they've done a fantastic job of like making that border <laughs> way bigger than it actually is. Well, that's so that's so thing that's so important because we talk about this all the time about you know the nature of Canadian racism. Um, you know, American racism is is pretty much overt. It's pretty much in your face. Um, it's systemic, but it's systemic in your face. You know, and Canada is it's it's still pretty much hidden. You know, that's mm -hmm. the culture of Canadian society. It's not as um, you know overt, and so a lot of this history is hidden. And I think, you know, kudos to Historic Canada for saying, hey, look, we got to we got to address this Chloe Cooley um, business because, uh, you know, it's our history. It's their logo is part, you know, one of their, you know, mantras is part of our heritage mm -hmm. and slavery is part of Canadian heritage. And it really, really makes me, you know, wonder, you know, why we've kind of um, aesthetically, um, you know, in our films, whatever, have sort of like, you know, made slavery just an American thing for so mm -hmm. long. You know, we've always looked south of the border, oh, you, you've had slavery, but we've had it here. And I'm hoping that this conversation about Chloe uh, reaches the state so that they can see, no, it's, it was in the North too. 
And even though the Underground Railroad was coming here, it was in the north. And there was particular types of slavery and, um, and, and racism that was here. And, um, you know, that they should know that, that they were not the only you know, country in, in North America that had slaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is, like, even if they want to say, oh, we abolished slavery 30 years before America. I'm like, there's a caveat to that. Because, again, as I do my research, there is still actually indentured servitude after the formal um, abolition. Um, abolishment of slavery in Canada, like, like many enslaved Black people were still forced into indentured servitude after the act passed, right? And even when, like, for, for Chloe, like, because of what happened to her, they did the, it's called the Act to Limit Slavery in yes. Upper Canada, which is not Ontario. But then when you look through the act, it wasn't that it stopped slavery, it just, like, limited, it stopped the trade of mm-hmm. slaves between Canada and America, but it wasn't, it didn't stop the, the trade of slavery within Canada itself. So I'm like, you know, that's where you got to look at the, the tricky language of law because I'm like, oh, Canada, you didn't really do that great because you just said we can't trade with America. But that, but that means you could still go and trade. You can go and trade human beings with your neighbor across down, down, down the province. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the other thing to look at is, I mean, when, when we acknowledge slavery in Canada, we acknowledge the, the effects and the legacy of what slavery is in Canada because to acknowledge that is to acknowledge that we had laws, we had systems, and our system was in place to take a certain group of humans and make them um, property and not treat them with the humanity. And that was codified in Canadian law. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. I think so much of when people talk about racism in U.S. and Canada, the racism in America stems from slavery and the way people and the repercussions of, of slavery and um creates the systemic racism and it, it can go, it can be traced back. But in Canada, when you take that part out, you're, um, it's almost like you're taking out the fact that there's a systemic structure yes. for racism in this country. And so when you put it back in, we can now say, look, the racism and the treatment of black people and um, African descendants in Canada um has been in our laws. It has been in our society. It's been in the system of this country from the inception of this country. Mm. Right. And, and, and I think it's really important that um, that comes with the discussion of the acknowledgement of slavery in Canada, because when black people now talk about their experiences and talk about the systemic issues of slavery, the anti-blackness that we experience here in this country and how it's, embedded in our system it's because it's been in our system since the in in the advent of this country you know the first europeans that came to canada came with enslaved people enslaved africans it's been a part of this culture and this and and the laws and the way this the system was found was founded and created and 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 we feel it to this day that's why anti-black racism exists because it's been a part of the system for 400 years. Yeah, there's no, there's no, um, yeah, it's not surprising then when you look at, you know, black community in Canada, you see, you know, higher unemployment rates, you have, you see higher rates of um, uh, incarceration, you see higher rates of um, chronic health uh, issues, you see higher rates of um, poverty, you know, that's because, you know, the laws in Canada the policies in Canada 
um, have always been um, kind of like a, um, well, it, it just follows what has happened in, from slavery, from the time of slavery. Anything that's put into place in, in terms of policy never seems to hap, um, happen in a way that supports Black people to the way that we can achieve real equality. And 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 that's the, the Chloe's story sort of like puts it all together for us um, because you know a long for a long time people have been saying, oh, slavery didn't happen in Canada, and now we can see everybody can see yes, it did, and this is the brutality of slavery and um, and this is such a hidden history that we have to start looking at, you know, how all these things are connected. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing was, and the thing, like something you said earlier, um, Alison, like, and this is something I've, I've mentioned before in um, other conversations where the, the difference between Canadian racism, and I would say that would have been before the pandemic because we saw how like they've been acting since the pandemic, especially recently in um, Ottawa, that it it's considered to be more subtle. You know, it's like more the more quote unquote polite form of racism. It's not as you would say more overt as it is in the U.S., where like they have they, they have like you know like the, they have the Jim Crow laws. Canada didn't have official laws like the like Jim Crow laws, we but they, what they had was accepted policies and behavior, which is like segregation. Segregation was a codified law in Canada as it was in the states, but segregation still happened in a, in in Canada. Like their last segregated school closed in 1983, which is literally in my lifetime. I was born in 1983, and that's when they had their last segregated school closed. They had um, residential schools up until the early 90s, and we know about how like they've been how Indigenous people, First Nations people, are treated within Canada. It's abysmal and horrendous. And as Black people were enslaved in um, Canada, so were Indigenous people. Like Indigenous people were enslaved in Canada, and actually were enslaved before. Black people, and then once they started to bring Black people over to Canada, they enslaved both um, races, both ethnicities together. And and you were saying Canada, um, Alison, the thing about like the how racism functions here, it, it carries over into our politics, where if you look at the policies and how politicians move, they don't say things very loudly. You know, they say the, they don't say the quiet parts out loud, but you do see how it is accepted within systematic, um, how, how the systems function. Like we talked about how the how the erasure of of, of slavery in Canada has been erased in their yeah. um, policies. That it like, there's no law in on the, there's no codified law, and there's no nothing in their literal in the education system that says we will not teach slavery in Canada. But it's just that they just don't do it. You know, they don't have to put it into law. They don't have to put it in an act. They just don't have to do it, and it and it, and it continues because it's an accepted form of behavior. It becomes an unspoken rule, right? And that's how racism functions. Racism is an unspoken rule. Like a lot of people don't want to talk about things, but we see how like black people and indigenous people and people of color, especially immigrants, are treated when they go into certain institutions, when they go into school. It's sometimes it's harder to be accepted into school. Like they raise the bar for like black people and for indigenous people when it comes to acceptance into school than they do for other people when it comes to medical institutions. I face my own issues with the medic, the medical system here, people say, "Oh, like Canada is great because we have universal health care, which I'm extremely thankful for because I have health issues, and I'm grateful for the um and universal health care." But that doesn't mean that the system itself doesn't have people who operate on who don't, who don't operate um 
within racism within the system. You know, like there are doctors who are racist, there are doctors who are misogynistic, and they take that into their practices with patients, right? So like things absolutely don't, people don't <laughs> things don't have to be written in rules to be act to be enacted. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. You, health is one of the good indicators. If you look at you know the health um, of black men and women, you'll see it's um, below. Um, everyone else except indigenous people in terms of chronic illnesses. Um, a lot of black women in particular don't like to go to the doctors because of the way they're treated. Um, the whole, all the studies about, you know, uh, healthcare professionals looking at black people uh, and black women again, and when they're sick and, and really treating her like if she's not feeling the pain that she is feeling. It's mm-hmm. a, it's this racism is in every one of our institutions, and you can argue you, can, you could argue that when you look at you know the racism and anti indigeneity that's that's happened with the indigenous people for many years centuries, um, you know that same racism was practiced on us as the next racialized group in in Canada, um, and it's appalling when you look at what happened to and what continues to happen to the indigenous community and a good thing that you know their resilience is just amazing because you know they have a lot of you know very smart people who are advocating for change and they are getting some changes now but you know hey if you think about that's where it started in Canada and we were second in line to receive that you know that punishment um you know you can understand it better uh, and and it's and it's funny about racism in Canada. They we never really connected, like the anti-black racism to the anti-indigeneity um, racism. Um, it's always kept separate, and mm-hmm. there is a connection. It's the same tools. Because mm-hmm. if no, you look, it, at, it is. Yeah, and we have to. And and I think when we when we talk more about slavery in Canada, we can recognize those tools uh, more. Uh, we 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 can't just say oh. Oh, it happened, right? Now we got to figure out, okay, what are those tools? Because when we look at our conditions in healthcare, you know, incarceration, we, it mirrors, you know, uh, the indigenous community, but theirs is uh, even worse. <laughs> mm. No, it's true. Like the healthcare system and how it treats um, indigenous people is abysmal. And like I, we talked about the racism, I face my own racism within the medical um institutions here because I have a chronic health condition, I have multiple sclerosis. Oh. And I and I had um I had her I had fibroids and I had endometriosis mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I've had my own instances where I've gone I've literally gone to the ER like mm-hmm. in excruciating pain because of the endometriosis and the fibroids and I've had doctors, male white doctors look me straight in my face and tell me that I that I don't need to be moaning and being so low because I can't be in that much pain. And I'm just like, if I wasn't in this much pain, I would curse you up right now. But I'm in too much pain <laughs> to give you a piece of my mind, right? And that's happened more than once, you know, where I've had people dismiss my feelings and my concerns. And I'm like, would you tell a white woman this? I highly doubt it, you know? <laughs> yep. But all this stuff is coming to light now, right? All this stuff. We've got some amazing people, researchers, you know, we've got uh, storytellers like ourselves. Mm-hmm putting it out there and, and sparking conversations and, you know, and also, you know, willing to work with um, established institutions to, to bring these stories to light. You know, that's another barrier, you know, uh, 
I, I making this film, um, this short, I didn't know until one day I was like, hmm. Because I was looking through all the Heritage Minutes and I was looking at all the directors and production companies and all that. And I was like, wait a minute. Am I the, I had to ask, am I the first black woman to, to direct one of these things? And I asked them and they went and they did the research and they said, yes, you are. Mm-hmm. And, and you see, if you hadn't asked, it would have probably never even occurred to them to make that observation. Absolutely. Well, I, yeah, I, you know, it's, it was, you know, I don't, I wouldn't usually ask. I would just, I would have assumed that there was more because there's a lot of, you know, black filmmakers, at least I know of my history in film is that I make sure I know who the filmmakers are. So I assume that, you know, filmmakers from the past, like Claire Preto or Jennifer Hodge da Silva or, you know, people like that, Christine Brown, whatever, they would have made a Heritage Minute. But then I I realized um, that, no, I was the first. And this mm. is 2022. Yeah, it's kind of like, almost like stunning when you think about how in 2022, we're, we're still having so many firsts for Black people, and in particular Black women, you know, there's still so many firsts occurring, and you're just like, uh, you say society has progressed, that we're such an advanced race, we're such an advanced society, and you're still having things being the first, especially for the first in, in industries that have been around for, like, the film filmmaking has been around for going on over a century now, and you're just like black. They're still black women doing, make, creating firsts within the film industry itself, which is just like kind of like mind blowing when you really think about it. Yeah, so it's yeah. just like a double, <laughs> it's a double whammy on this one for us, you know. Uh, but you know, we we I think we rose to the occasion, and I think the piece that we we created is is quite special. Olivia's portrayal is very, very special and it, it's getting people to talk um, about this. No, it's, I think it's great that we finally, like we can, I can say like sometimes it's kind of like my blowing me so first, but the point is, is that even with those first, we're still learning things new. And then as again, and this was the first time I had heard about Chloe Cooley and I'm so happy to know about her. And, and, and the thing, and the thing is about it, like, when I was reading what happened with her is like, we don't even know what happened to her after um, because it took place in March of 1793. And like after she would, cause what had happened was she was being forcibly sold across the border to, to New York state and she was sold. And that's the thing. So like, because, but because like there were witnesses to her um, fighting, like she was fighting and screaming and like there were witnesses to that, like they went to the, so the governor and he went and took it to court and they had, they passed the Act of Limits Every Act. But then it's like, we don't know about what, what happened to her. Like she's, she, her screaming, her resistance created this fundamental change in the Canadian system. And it's just like, we also don't even know what happened to her um, after. So like, it, it kind of shows mm-hmm. like how also black women are kind of erased, even for the, the, um, the significant contributions they make to culture and society. Yes, it's yeah. very nuanced because there's one, you know, it, it's so, okay, Canadian racism is so nuanced, right? They were more concerned about her, the noise she was making mm-hmm. and the, causing such a kerfuffle. And that was too much over over the slavery that she was experiencing, right? That's what caused a legislation uh, change. And then also on top of that, um, you know, uh, the reason why... Um, um, Adam Vrooman, who was the, the, the man, he was a, he was a loyalist, a soldier, and he 
um, he had enslaved Chloe, the reason why he wanted to sell her back to the United States is because they were hearing whispers of, um, you know, abolition of slavery, of that they were going to end slavery in Canada. And he thought that he didn't want to lose his investment in Chloe. So he rather sell her back early. So just in case this legislative stuff changes, that he would um, not lose any money. Yeah. So that's, so that's like, okay. What you talk about is like, he was trying to save his money. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and so that just really, really, you know, kind of speaks to the type of racism we have and how we, we quietly, um, you know, work to oppress people, you know, and, and, and that's the same style of racism here in Canada. If you peel back the layers and really look at that situation, oh, he was trying to save money, so he's sneaking her back to the states to to get his whatever. I don't know. I, I we still don't know how much um, she was sold for, but you know, I don't know how much it was. But he was just trying to save save a buck. Mm. And no one ever went to look for her afterwards. They didn't. They didn't even go to say, you know what, Chloe, we see that you didn't want to go, so we're gonna look for you and try to bring you back. No, no. We just let her go, drift on down the road, and we don't know what happened to her after that. But we know her name now, and that's the and that's I think that's important. Maybe perhaps because of this documentary, this film that you got that you did, someone will take the initiative. Someone with the resources will be able to possibly trace her. Because the thing, the difference between um Canada and I think the U.S. also the, the U.S. they they there's they 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 kept records better with yeah. regards to um how with regards to how black people were enslaved. So perhaps now someone can go and look. That some of the resources and the background and the know-how can go and research and find out what happened there. So if that happens, we'll have your film to thank for that. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Yeah, that's great. That would be a cool to think. That's really cool to think about. You know, um, that this is just you know the tip of the iceberg, and there's more of the story to know and to tell. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I don't know how long it will take, but I'm sure her full story will come to light one day. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, um. So as a wrap up for both of you and for both you and Gaddy, um, can you both talk about what projects you're you'll you'll be working on now? For I'm sorry, I'm getting back, I'm getting tongue tied. Uh, what projects um are in store for you and for OEM Media Group? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we have um quite a picture, quite a few projects going on right now. Um, right now we have two feature length documentaries um in production. Um, one is called Away with Words. Um, and it's uh um all centered around um Stacey Ann Chin, who is a, a poet, activist, um, lesbian woman warrior, um, and kind of her dealing with um reckoning with her the relationship she has with her mother who abandoned her as an infant, um, as she raises her own um headstrong daughter. Um and then the other one, um uh I'll let Elson tell tell us about because uh He's directing, um, but Away With Words is also being directed by Laurie Townsend, who mm-hmm. is the uh, director and educator here in Toronto. It's her feature, first feature-length documentary. Yeah, and that one's in, in post-production right now. And right now I'm in a production of Bam Bam, the story of Sister Nancy. Um, Sister Nancy is um, a reggae artist, uh, and she's an icon, uh, her song Bam Bam is the most sampled reggae vocal of all time um, and um, it's in movies, it's in television series like Ozark 
Um, it was just in Maids. It was uh, in the James, latest James Bond film. Uh, and uh, it's just, you know, she's, her song is like, she's, she's been um, touring the song for the last 40 years. And this is the 2022 is the 40th anniversary of that song. And we're, we're um, making a documentary about all the things that it's just, <laughs> it's a crazy ride. Let's, let me just tell you this. It's a crazy ride. It's, it's an amazing uh, ride about this song and, um, you know, what's happened to it and what, where it's going and, you know, all the behind the scenes uh, things that people might not know. Um, as the song was being sampled, she wasn't collecting royalties. So there's a lot of drama. Uh, and anyways, uh, we're in production. We, we were just in Jamaica for 10 days in the oh, beautiful God. island of Jamaica, shoot, filming her and, uh, you know, worked with some incredible, you know, musicians and, and whatnot. And uh, she's now touring in Australia, but we're going to do her uh, UK um you know, leg of her tour. Um, she's just a remarkable lady. I can't wait to, you know, finish shooting it and get into post. Um, and we have a couple other projects. I don't know, Gaddy, you want to talk about those? Um, yeah. So we also have, um, uh, in, we have quite a few projects in development. Um, we have a, a virtual reality um, 360 um, experience um, that's looking at, um, you know, the culture and life in Barbuda, an island in the Caribbean. Um, we have uh, a um, web series, a dramatic web series called Paradise that's um, going to be, that's in development heading into a writer's room to kind of flesh out the, the scripts. And we have um, a uh, an unscripted series, um, or documentary series uh, that's looking at uh, black archives it's called black community mixtapes really excited about that one um we shot some amazing sizzles which you can see on our vimeo or youtube page and on our socials um just some you know teasers to give you a taste of what what the series will look like and that one's um, kind of remixing canadian black history it's looking at contemporary black canadian history but through the lens of of um, two young filmmakers, Cara Martin and Ivano Antonio, who are kind of un uncovering the history, you know, asking the question, if it's not on the internet, does it exist? You know, mm. um, you know, so much of our history is hidden um, and it's hidden in, in basements um, and in people's homes. And, um, you know, a lot of our history in Canada from black communities are collected by individuals and, um, you know, and, and, and stored in their basements. We're going into the basements. We're going... Um, and I think this kind of stemmed out of Mr. Jane and Finch, um, our, uh, you know, our documentary um, that we did for CBC, where um, Mr. Which is about Mr. LaRose and his um, fight to fight. He's fighting against gentrification for his community, but he also is a, an archivist and he's been collecting and recording, um, you know, Black Canadian history, uh, Black Canadian stories in Canada and around the world uh, for the past 50, 50 years. And he had this incredible archive, uh, which we use in the film. But also since then, you know, there's been others who have um, shared their archives with us. So we kind of wanted to ar activate this archival information, connect it to um, contemporary Canada, you know, and, um, and, and share it with the world. So really, really excited about that series. Yeah. Yay. I will keep a lookout for those. And hopefully maybe I could speak, we'll get to speak to you. I'm sorry. 
again, I'm getting down to um, tongue-tied. <laughs> so hopefully I'll be able to speak to you um, again about the projects. And I'm jealous of you being able to go to Jamaica because I can really <laughs> use the sun and the sea and the surf right now because I don't understand why it's snowing again. I know. It's such a shame. But... <laughs> no, I, I'm missing Jamaica too. I, you know, I'm trying to, I'm looking at the production dates. So I'm like, how can I go back? <laughs> and and this and this project that Gaddy just mentioned a bit talking talking about um Barbuda and like the rest of the Caribbean islands is Barbados included in there? Because I'm Bajan and I'm just like yeah, <laughs> included. You know, you know, I love going to Barbados. I used to go every year, twice a year until COVID, and um I love Barbados. It's got the beautiful beaches, as you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, we got to do it. <laughs> we got to do it up. Yeah. I'm going home in April and I'm just like, I'm holding on, I'm just holding on. <laughs> so that day, I'm just like, I'm holding peace. Um, Thank you so much for talking with me, Gaddy and Allison. This has been amazing. Again, thank you so much for doing the, for making the, the film and for speaking with me about it and sharing your thoughts about it. And like the system here in Canada is something I've been trying to be more open about. Like, I'm like, you know, like if we're going to talk about representation, and what that means, we also got to talk about why representation is necessary because representation is for a purpose. If we didn't, if we didn't always have representation, we wouldn't be talking about it now. But we've never, we haven't always had representation, so therefore we have to talk about the reason for it. And this, and I believe the fact that like racism and like the history of Black people within Canada has been erased, and like so many creatives, like both of you, are trying to bring those that history to like so that we know and appreciate what black people have done and what black people have been ex have been through here in Canada um, is vitally important to talking about representation on screen and behind the cameras. So thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it too. And if they want to see the Heritage Minute, you can go on uh, YouTube and just put in Chloe Cooley. You'll see the Heritage Minute or you can go to the, go to the Historic Canada site and it's right there. It's the first one. It's the mm -hmm. latest one. And then if you want to find out more about us, you can follow us on social media. Go to our website. Everything's oyamediagroup.com. All our handles are oyamediagroup. Yes. Peace. Peace. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Bye. Have a good day. Bye. 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 Let me see if again. It will end this.